Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey everybody, Matt Reister here at the Christian Products Expo 2022. Andrew, we're out in the hallway. Things are gonna be winding down here pretty soon. It's been a productive two days. It's been a great spot. We've been kind of in the in the flow of traffic here and, and met a whole lot of people in addition to the great interview guests we've had. Uh, the people that we've met here have been fabulous. Uh, I got a shout out to the staff here, the, the staff at, at, at the CPE. Um, just the guys working the door, the guys hauling the chairs, they've been helping us out a lot. We really appreciate that. They've been really nice. A lot of Southern hospitality. Absolutely. So this interview is with Paula Freeman and Paula Freeman lost her husband seven years ago and has written about the transformation in her life and kind of refinding herself as a widow. Yeah. And uh, she also has some experience with an adoption orphanage agency type yeah. ministry that she founded and worked with for 20 plus years. I'm going to tell you, this was, I mean, I wasn't expecting it to be a bad interview, but I was surprised at how much I enjoyed this. I mean, Paula is just such a, a precious lady yeah. who the way she talks about walking the road that she's walked is going to be a huge encouragement to anybody who's going through grief of any kind. Yeah. Um, and particularly, I would think, for women who have lost their husbands. And uh, her book, I mean, I, I said in the interview, somebody ought to buy a case of these books and just give them to people who are in that situation. Yeah. And it's not only a, it's not only limited to women who've lost their husbands. No, of course. But... Um, people who are going through loss, grief. Yeah, so good. And, and she's so solid. And I was so refreshed by our conversation. I know people are gonna love it. Excellent, I'm pumped to hear it myself. So thanks Paula for being with us and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Share this with a friend or somebody who you think might be encouraged by it. Cause I think there'll be a lot of people in that category. Hey everybody, Matt Reister here at the CPE, that's the Christian Products Expo in Lexington, Kentucky, and I'm with Paula Freeman. Paula wrote a book called Learning to Be Me Without You, a story of love, loss, and coming home, which we're gonna talk about that. But uh, before we get to that, how's, how's the conference treating you? It's been fantastic, Matt, and thank you so much for having me on. I've enjoyed uh, meeting other writers, other retailers, distributors, people like yourself. It is uh, energizing and um, great to be here. Is this your first time at CPE? No, I was here a few years ago with another book I wrote, but it's been a few years and it changes quickly. So how many books have you written? I've written a total of two. Okay. So what was your first one that brought you here a few years ago? Uh, my first one was called A Place I Didn't Belong, Hope for Adoptive Moms. Okay. I am a social worker by profession, founder and executive director of a licensed adoption agency and orphan care ministry. 
I'm also the adoptive mother of three children. Three of my seven children are adopted from India and Cambodia. Okay. And in the course of working with hundreds of families, living out the adoption lifestyle with three of my girls, I was very aware that the greatest need in the adoption community was for post-adoption services because people have a very romanticized view of what adoption is. You rescue the kids, they're going to be thankful, delighted that you ah. um, have adopted them. And when you're working with kids from hard places, it's, it's a hard journey. I went through a season of depression, went to counseling, and out of that realized there's this monumental need in the adoption community for people to know they're not alone. Mm. And the book I wrote is an invitation to emotional healing and spiritual renewal for adoptive cool. moms with kids from hard places. Wow. So I've got an adopted brother and sister uh, younger than me, one from my brother's from Korea and my sister's from India. And my brother's three years younger than me. And then my sister's three years younger than him. So it's been great. Everyone asks me, I'm the only biological kid. And so everyone says, is it, is it normal to have, like, does it feel normal to have an adopted brother and sisters? Like, well, yeah, I mean, it's my normal. <laughs> I don't know what would be any different. It's been great. And uh, they're doing well, so that's great. I'm delighted to hear that. And yeah. it's, it's nice to know that connection. I did not know that about you. Yeah. It's great to hear that. So uh, your kids from India, where at in India? One daughter was from Hyderabad. Okay. which is kind of south-central India, and the second daughter, the youngest child, was from uh, Madras, or Chennai. Okay. My sister's from um, Srinagar, up north, kind of by the Himalayas. I don't remember the exact... Srinagar, I think, is the territory. I don't know if I know the town. But another interesting connection, I interviewed a gal at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in March named My Mabel Ninen who wrote a book about how being far from home, she lives in the United States now, but she was born and raised in Hyderabad, about how that is actually a metaphor for our, you know, being on earth instead of in heaven. And things she learned from being an immigrant and from being a foreigner in a foreign land a uh, really good interview and a really great book that she wrote. So if you're way interested in that, she, but she's from Hyderabad. And uh, that was a great interview we did. So Mabel Nynan. It sounds wonderful and like she has some pretty incredible insights. Yeah, yep. yeah. So uh, let's talk about this one right here. You were widowed, you were telling me before, seven years ago. Almost, it'll be seven years in September. And obviously that's been a difficult journey. When did you decide you were going to write a book about it? It was a decision that evolved. I have journaled all of my life. I, I write as a spiritual discipline. It's the way God uses in my life to help me discover truths about Him and about myself. It's a way I sort out issues when I write. Mm. And I've just, I have 40 years worth of, of journals. And when my husband was diagnosed with interstitial lung disease, I thought, I'm, I'm gonna need to write about this. and I had a separate journal that was just devoted to what I call the dying season. Wow. And because I knew I've always had this ability to name the hard stuff for other people, um, to kind of hone in and name it when other people may not want to name it. And there was something in me that knew 
because of my journey in working with adoptive families, because of my social work, that God may use this story yeah. in some other way for other women um, in particular. And so I started just writing, and I wanted to keep track of things in real time. Yeah. I wanted to remember the graces. I wanted to remember the healing. I wanted to name the hard stuff. I've experienced depression. I know where my weaknesses are and that I tended to minimize and move on. And I was committed that I was not going to do that with grief. If I was going to thrive in widowhood, I needed to dive deep into grief and let God do whatever work he was going to do wow. in that season of grief. So it was somewhere in writing this, in sorting it out over the two or three years after that, that I realized I, I think this might be a book. Wow. And I think it could be a resource for people not only who've lost a spouse, but who have grieved and are grieving. Interesting. So how long was it from your husband's diagnosis until his death? It was about 18 months. <coughs> Excuse me there. And so uh, interstitial lung disease. Tell me about that. It's an ugly disease. It's another word for it can be pulmonary um, fibrosis. Fibrosis. Yeah. Okay. I've it's heard of that. It's basically no cure, no effective treatment, fibrous growths overtake your lungs and you die. You suffocate. Wow. And uh, my father died of it. My husband's father died of it. So when Ray got the diagnosis of interstitial lung disease, nobody was acting like it was a big deal. We looked at each other and we thought, this is how he's going to die because wow. we knew what this journey would be like. And it, it took some more medical visits and treatment and tests to discern the exact flavor and all of that. But um, it was about 18 months after he first we first heard the words that the Lord took him home. Wow. And so seven years later, you know, what has the Lord done uh, in you? Obviously, you still grieve, right? And but not as other people grieve, and it's definitely gotten better. Yeah. So I'm just thinking of somebody who might be listening to this, who's maybe a little bit more recent in that journey. Um, it is going to get better. It will. And how and when and, I mean. I can't tell you that. What I can tell you, and my journey was rather unique in that um, my husband and I love the beach. And I retired uh, right before shortly before he died and um, we decided we would spend as much time as we could on the North Carolina coast mm. and on one of our trips there after he'd been diagnosed he said I want to move here hmm. and I said that's pretty counterintuitive don't you think we need our church family we need our family at this time we knew what was coming and he said but I can breathe better at sea level oh and this is the kind of quality of life that I want so we decided that would be our last big adventure we put a for sale sign in our yard. Wow. We took our two dogs and headed to the beach. Two weeks later, he died unexpectedly. Wow. So in a matter of a few months, my nest is empty. I retired from a job and a career I loved, and my husband is gone, and I'm in a land of strangers, yeah. and I know nobody. Wow. And shortly before he died, I had a very significant crisis of faith with God in that I was questioning, I knew what was coming, excuse me, <coughs> but I honestly didn't know if God was going to be enough. Yeah. I was facing my greatest fear. 
And what happened for me, Matt, and it's different, I think people will have to go through the same steps. God knew the prayer that I was going to be praying, crying out to Him. Mm. And in His grace, everything that had lent meaning to my life, the roles, the responsibilities that I'd had were now gone. I was by the ocean. Mm. And in that 19 months, God showed me in ways that we don't have enough time Mm -hmm. for me to express how God showed me that he was going to be enough, that his presence in the crucible of grief was one of the most remarkable journeys I've ever gone on. When you say in those 19 months, you talk about the 19 months from the diagnosis to the death or, or after he died? I'm sorry, it wasn't very clear. Once we moved there, I stayed for 19 months. Oh, wow. And he died two weeks after we got there. And we knew when we left Colorado that we would go to North Carolina together and one day I would go home by myself. Wow. And I decided, I knew by the time Ray had died, he was in the hospital for about four days, and I knew that I was supposed to stay. I didn't know why. Wow. But I knew that God had brought me there. God used Ray to bring me wow. to this place where I could meet him in new and different ways. I'd been a believer since I was 17. I directed a Christian ministry for almost 25 years. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you, there was another being born again that happened to me. Hmm. And I fell in love with a gentler and kinder Jesus in hmm. that season of grief. Were you going to say something else? I think it's your turn to yeah. talk. What, what was, when you say a gentler and kinder Jesus, that's intriguing to me. What do you mean? I knew in my head that God loved me. Yeah. I've told a lot of people that God loves them. Yeah. I've told and has my, a plan for your life. And he does. <laughs> yeah, he does. You know, yeah. and I've raised my kids with that. Yeah. When I said yes to a further journey with Jesus. And that was, there's this chapter in my book that talks about being on the beach and the Lord saying, follow me, mm -hmm. follow me. I want to recover your life. And it was his invitation to go on a further journey with him. And when I did, and I let him hold me, I experienced being his beloved. Mm. Not just knowing that he loved me, but that I was his beloved. Mm -hmm. And one of the most remarkable things that happened was in that 19 months that I was um, alone and I was asking God to bring healing to my life, he showed me through solitude, through silence. It was a season of letting go of that which God was already allowing to be taken away. And it was him showing me that I was his beloved. When my husband and I dated, we had kind of a long distance relationship and engagement for the last year, and we wrote letters to each other. Mm -hmm. It was before text and all Email, of this stuff. Email, yeah. And we saved them, we threw them in one box, left it from place to place, you know, and it <laughs> gathered dust, the pages were yellow. And I knew I would read them again one day. And there was a Saturday night about eight months in after he had died. And I just thought, tonight's the night. Hmm. And I went and I found that box of old letters. I set it down beside me in my recliner chair and I picked them out one at a time. It took me three days hmm. to read 322 love letters. Wow. And when I got to the end of those, I read 
I cried, mm-hmm. I slept a little bit, I went to church, I came home, I sat down and read some more. I started on Saturday, I finished on Monday, and there was this physical movement in my body that God had turned my heart right side up. Hmm. And what I heard as I was reading these letters from my husband, not as a 65-year-old wizened man, mm-hmm. but as a 21-year-old, he wrote him, desperate to be and to know that he would be a good enough husband and father, mm. desperate for my father and his father to believe that he would. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to these love letters, and underneath it all, it was God just saying, listen to this. This is my message to you. Yeah. And it was through my husband's words, the letter that he wrote, that God whispered to me, Paula, you are my beloved. Wow. And that sticks with you. Yeah. You know, but I needed that. Yeah. I needed that. And that's how he said, and there was many, many things that happened in ways that God was gentle and kind. We went on his timetable. There was, there was no agenda. Yeah. There was no agenda, but this constant invitation and what that brings you to is holy repentance. And I went through a time of looking back. I read my journals of 40 years. Mm -hmm. I liked me in some of those years. Mm -hmm. I was ashamed of me Mm. in some of those years. Mm -hmm. And I wept before God because I had this misguided sense of who he was and what Mm. it meant to serve him. Can you give an example of something you were ashamed of that revealed a misguided sense of who he was? Constantly striving. Mm. Constantly striving. I had learned about myself that I was, I had a fear of failure and a fear of rejection. Mm -hmm. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to be the best at everything and I worked really hard so I didn't fail. Yeah. But when you start an organization, it was a stressful job. I had seven children, yep. a husband, and I became that driven woman. Mm. And I read my journal, and in the maturity of years, I had compassion on the young person that I was, mm. the young mom and the young professional. But I also had this deep sense of shame and embarrassment that, um, that I hurt other people. Mm. and thinking that I was doing all this good stuff for God. Hmm. And um, my job was to shepherd hearts, Mm. not to meet deadlines. And so there was a lot of repentance about the striving. And I see so much of it today. Yeah. And I want to say, just slow down. It's okay. Yeah. How do you see it today? What's it look like today? People looking at their screens and not looking you in the eyes. Yeah. They're checking their Facebook, they're yep. checking their texts, they're doing social medias, um, this heightened sense of importance of yeah. who we are. Yep. We're rushing, we're rushing, we're rushing, and to be busy is to be important. And to be busy is what wears you out. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've not nothing left. Yeah. You know. And I am not condemning anything. No. Please don't hear that. No. Everybody has their own journey. And yep. I had to hit a bottom, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and God was gracious and met me there, and um, that's where my first book came out of. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's incredible. Um, it says a story of love. That's obvious. You and your husband's love for each other. 
but it was also it's it's intertwined in there. It was at God's love for you, for me, and for <clears throat> the reader, for you. Yeah, you awesome. Know. Of loss, so that includes losing your husband. Does loss refer to anything else? When you lose a spouse, you lose a whole boatload of stuff. Yeah. You know, I lost the future yeah. that I was going to have with him. I lost watching our grandchildren grow up with him. We had I had two grandchildren that came into the family after he died. He would never pray over those children like he did the other grandkids. Yeah. Um, you lose a lot of things. You lose being a couple, and that's kind of where the title came from. Is you lose roles, responsibilities, and rhythm of life. You don't know who you are. Yeah. As a person, this we rhythm doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And you, so you lose this sense of identity, and you are one. And then all of a sudden, half is gone, and you're amputated. And what is this going to look like? Mm -hmm. You know, who am I when I'm just mom? Then it says, "In coming home." So what's coming home refer to? Is what you described like this new understanding of who God is? And it probably refers to about three different things. Okay. Because I think what I've learned is when we say yes to that further journey with Jesus, he takes us closer to the Father's heart. But where he also brings us is when we come closer to the Lord, we come closer to the person that he created us to be. I came home to me. Mm. as a person, not just a wife and a mother and a professional. And I'm still coming home and believing that God is still creating me into the woman that he's created me to be. Mm -hmm. And then physically, I did go back to Colorado from the beach. There's a quote by uh, Paula Darcy, and I won't quote it correctly, but she talks about when you go into the wilderness for this time of the Lord, it's not just to stay there, but it's to go back and tell your people. Mm. And scripture talks about that same principle and I knew that that I would go back home hmm. and I went back physically but I knew that I was going home but I wasn't mm -hmm. I still had to figure out who I was going to be when I was in that physical place mm -hmm. and the third place was in following Jesus knowing that I was his beloved that my heart had found a home in a different way in mm -hmm. a different season of rest mm -hmm. wow um how long has this been out? August 2nd. So just now. <laughs> just now. Okay. So, I mean, you've had other people read it, though, before it came out. And so what kind of feedback are you getting so far? It's been pretty incredible, actually. And we did a, a two weeks to the lead-up of the actual book being released. We did an e-book release yeah. so that people could... Um, take a read for 99 cents and write reviews. Yeah. The most common um, things I hear is, wow, I haven't lost my spouse, but what you did was you are so relatable, this took me into my own story. Yeah. And that is a mark of a good memoir, when your story can be the vehicle that God uses to carry them into their own. Yeah. Because my prayer in writing that book was, Lord, let me show the essence of what you did in my life. Mm -hmm. so that others will see you yeah. and theirs. It's interesting. That's why we do these conversations in this podcast. We don't just want to tell uh, inspiring interviews, interesting interviews with inspiring Christians so that people have a cool story that they can listen to. But we want, to, we want people to be able to connect somehow to each of these in a way that reveals what God's doing in their life. Like, if God did this in Paula's life, 
I haven't lost a spouse or I haven't gone through this thing that this person talked about, but, but, but there's some connection point where you see God at work in my life, even though our, our stories aren't the same. And I would suggest that we have all known grief. You know, yeah. it might be divorce, it might be a diagnosis, it might be a financial reversal, it could be the loss of a child, it could be shattered dreams of any number of ways. We've yeah. all known adversity and sorrow and sadness. And I think the healing journey is going to be some flavor of the same thing, that we need to say, not my will, but yours be done. Yeah. And sit with God in solitude and silence and learn to listen and align our will with Him and let go of what he's asking, allowing to already be taken away. It's not a how-to book. I won't be your how-to gal, but there are similar characteristics of those who grieve well. They learn to allow God to be present with them in that grief Mm -hmm. and to hold them and to be still. Mm -hmm. The healing is somewhat supernatural, I think. It's a posture of being present to God. And it doesn't take losing a spouse to be able to do that. Mm. Um, I want to talk about adoption a little bit. Just the ministry that you started and led. And, you know, with adopted brother and sister, it's a topic of conversation in our family growing up. And it's just kind of the air that we breathe. And I didn't know anything different. But, you know, when you start to read scripture and those of us who are not biological Jews but our followers of Christ were adopted into God's family, were grafted in. By faith, we're made sons and daughters, not because we were born into the family, but because we were adopted in. And so there's some powerful imagery in Scripture that I think, again, for those of us that aren't part of Israel, adoption is a more accurate representation of our relationship to God than biological birth. Uh, You know what I mean? And um, so I think that's cool. Uh, but what about even just the practical side of, of adoption and uh, the need that's out there, the opportunities that are out there? Um, what have you learned over a career of working in that field? I would say I think adoption is a high and a noble calling. Mm. Um, I think God will truly call some people to adopt children into their family that were not born to them. Yeah. I think in some ways we've done a disservice when it became kind of the end thing to do, if you will. Yeah. Because adoption can be very hard work because I like to say that God specialized in adopting older special needs kids because he got me. Uh, you know? Yeah. And and you think about sometimes how we mistreat God adopted into his family. We, yeah. we don't want to abide by the rules. We don't know how to let him love us. Yeah. Uh, we want to do our own thing. We want to stay in control. Huh. That's what many of adopted children come in because they're coming in with their own wounds. Yeah. And we want this to be a happily ever, ever after story. And uh, some of them are. But we live in a broken world, and what happens is many people come into adoption through the door of infertility. Many children come in, they've already lost, regardless of if they had the most perfect intrauterine environment you could possibly have. Everybody comes into adoption out of loss. 
Mm. And that's the starting place mm. of adoption. Can God redeem it? Absolutely. Yeah. Is it going to be according to your timetable, your expectations? Probably not. Mm -hmm. And what happens is when it probably not happens, we don't know what to do with the people who struggle with children who lie or who steal or who become sexually promiscuous, not because they're wanting to be naughty, but simply because there are these needs and broken places yeah. in their life. And they have a need to maintain control because when they weren't in control, they got hurt. Yeah. And so if we can look at some of the issues that kids bring through the lens of trauma that has happened to them and compassion for this could be a normal response to what they have been through. Yeah. Then we might be in a better place as a body of Christ to have services, training, people who can tolerate that level of chaos and dysfunction mm -hmm. for the good of another for a while in their families. Mm -hmm. um, it's a noble and good thing, but it is a plan B because God never intended the brokenness that we have. And, and it's part of, I think, living in a broken world that we're going to have. I came into a adoptive parenthood. I was a broken individual. You're a broken man. Yeah. We all bring that into our relationships. Yeah. And these take a special kind of grace to navigate well. And you write about that in your first book. I do. All that stuff. Well, parts of it. You can't write all of it. Really what I wanted to do was help mom understand that they're not to blame and there is no shame in the outcomes of our children. We can be okay when our kids are struggling. Yeah. And some of them aren't going to do okay. Yeah. Yeah. Back to your husband. Um, in the last seven years, and in particular, I mean, with this book coming out, and um, I mean, do you even let your mind go to, I wonder what he would be thinking about this stuff? Or I wonder what he would think about the fact that I stayed there for 19 months, which he would have assumed, because you probably talked beforehand, that when he dies, you're going back home right away. Um, or I wonder what he would think about this view of Christ that is maybe gentler and softer. And I wonder what he would think about my feelings about past times in our lives where I'm ashamed of how I viewed God. Like, you have to think about that stuff, right? I do. But, um, and I said, I talked about Jesus being gentler and kinder. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Not softer, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I'm you... I'm not sure where, what you meant by soft, but I, I thought, I don't think that's what I meant. No, no. But, um, I'm glad you corrected me. You know, when Ray and I got married, we each picked a Bible verse that we had the reference inscribed in our wedding bands. Mm -hmm. And the one he had for me was, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church yeah. and being presented to the Father. And... What I realized after my husband died was his death didn't negate what he put in my wedding bag. Ah. His death, death fulfilled it because I believe that God compelled him to get us to North Carolina wow. by the beach because that's where he presented me to the Father and God showed me that he was going to be enough. That's incredible. So I will tell you... Ray would have been my number one cheerleader in the whole darn journey. Yeah. And he would have said, sweetheart, I am here. 
Yeah. I am being held by the father. You tell it. Yeah. You tell it. And um, he supported my writing. He wrote an inscription in a book he gave me one time to keep writing, keep learning, because nobody... I, he learned about God through me more than anybody else. He said, I want you to keep doing that. Wow. So, and he was very open about his flaws. And I, and I'm, I don't present a rosy picture. We were married 42 years, three months and 10 days. Mm. We struggle sometimes, yeah, yeah. you know, it wasn't picture perfect. Were we in love? Yeah, we were Yeah. a whole bunch of it, yeah. you know? Um, so I do think about of it, but I think of it with the biggest smile. And it's like, I know. I feel like I'm finishing this journey for both of us. Yeah. And I, I got, I'm the one that got to tell the story, and I hope I did it well. Yeah. Because really, what I want to do is say what God did yeah. for me. Yeah. And um, and He did it through broken people and a broken family. And um, so I do think about it, and it's not, it's not a sad thing. I just feel like, yeah. Yeah. He'd be on it. This might be out of bounds, but it's a question I've got. Could you see yourself getting married again? You know, I, um, and you know, I'll tell you what I tell my kids. You're free to ask me any question you want. If you're out of bounds, I'll let you know. (laughs) Um, I don't think I probably will. And I sat down, well, driving to my home from the hospital after he died was about a two-hour drive. Mm. And my sister was driving me. And I remember thinking, huh, till death do you part. That's, that's what this is. We, we did that. It's over. It's over. Wow. On this drive down Interstate 40, till death do you part. We did that. And I know I would have permission from the Lord to get married again. Yeah. I, I searched scripture and it's there, you know, and they say, you know, you might be a little distracted. I think it might be better if you stayed not married yeah um and i want it to be open i kind of had this motto that okay god's left me here on purpose for a repurposed life and so if it's not illegal unethical or unbiblical i'll probably give it a try yeah you know just yeah. figuring out who this me is going to be yeah so i i wanted to be open to it um but there was this part of me that i was 62 and ray died and i knew statistically what that looked like I didn't need a man. Um, I needed my husband. I needed Ray. That's the one I wanted. Yeah. You know, and he's gone now. And I felt like, and he even asked when we were at the beach one time before he died, like two or three days before he died. And he was, I could just tell he was just feeling kind of intro, into himself. And, and I said, you know, what's on your mind? And he said, well, it's a little, I forget the word he used, but little depressing that wasn't the word but I can't remember now what yeah. it was and I said so what is it he said well if I die here will it ruin this place for you mm. and will you bring your new boyfriend here and I was so taken back it's like well we talked about everything else we hadn't talked about that and I said well honey I <laughs> I, I kind of think I'm a one-man woman okay yeah <laughs> and so I have missed male companionship yeah I I don't think I'm going to be remarried. I don't have a desire to. And I think part of it is it takes a long time to train a good husband, Matt. <laughs> My wife will be amen in that. She's failing at it right now. Uh, you know, I had, a, I had a good one. I had a good guy. He was one of the best. I thought, I, why would I? 
I'm okay. I'm finishing for both of us. I've got great kids and grandkids. Yeah. My life is full. God has been enough. I have friends that have chosen to get remarried. I'm not opposed to it. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, how else do you see this finishing? I mean, you got you look healthy, and you got probably 20, 30 years in you. Well, thank you. And uh, yeah, I'm not going for the record. <laughs> um, it's an interesting way because 15 months ago, my daughter was widowed. Yeah. And she was widowed with three young girls who were four, eight, and nine when their daddy died of a very um, aggressive cancer. And I, I knew that God had allowed Ray and I to go through our journey. Hmm. And I had worked through it. I had written the book. I felt that God had healed that broken space. I love him. I miss him. Um, but God has healed my heart. And I knew that I was to be there for my daughter. And I moved to Kansas City to help her with my three adorable grandchildren. We don't know what our life is going to be like, but I bought a house. I live near her. We agreed she needs her life. I need my life. And so I'm doing this integration thing yeah. that I'm helping her. But I am still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Uh -huh. And I know God has some other things. So I love writing done some speaking in the past I may tinker there but um, I'm just trying to be as open to God's leading and direction in my life as I can and saying yes so 15 months in obviously everybody's grief story is different um, how's your daughter doing I think she's doing amazing you know and I feel like that's her story to tell, and her journey is so different than mine because she is still tasked with parenting three young children. Yeah. And she is a social worker by profession. She is aware of the importance of grieving well and has been very present for her girls. I am comfortable with grief. I'm an adoption social worker. She worked, we worked together as adoption social workers for eight years, mm. so I in no way replace a dad but we're finding our way, um, and I think she's doing an amazing job. It is terribly messy mm. on some days. Um, some of the, one of the youngest girl was only four when her daddy died, and we know that developmentally she's not gonna be, she'll be dealing with that and really understanding death when she's about seven. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's just a lot of stuff to it. But trying to kill a fly here. I'm sorry. Know. It's, he's having his way, isn't but he? But she's uh, getting along. She's getting along well. And, and she's got an incredible support system. Her church has come along. And um, as she would say, the body of Christ is alive and well. I just was so delighted to see the body of believers that she's a part of in Kansas City that have just stepped up to the plate in remarkable, remarkable ways to support her and the girls. Mm -hmm. So kudos to them. Are there one or two things that stand out specifically that you think I was specifically equipped through this thing with Ray to help my daughter? I mean, a, a couple, because they are different, right? Um, but are there a couple aspects that it's like, yeah, this is, if I hadn't have gone through that seven years ago, I would have been totally incapable of helping in this way now. I would say it's a compilation of um, raising adopted children and 
knowing what task that is and then you compound that with them dealing with grief of yet another parent, I think I'm somewhat uniquely qualified to come alongside in that way because I get that journey. Yeah. And I'm okay with the messiness of it, you know, and we can be together on the team because we know that there are different issues here. And the other thing that felt really important to me was it's very hard to watch your child, no matter how old they are, in significant pain. And I couldn't bring her husband back. Mm -hmm. And I could pray for her. But because I had seen what God had done in my life, mm -hmm. and because of who he is, and I know my daughter has a vibrant faith, mm -hmm. that by the time I was sitting with her in ICU when her husband passed, I saw the immediate, but I could also see the future. Yeah. And I knew that there was going to come a time that there will be a morning that she'll wake up and sadness is not the first thing she's going to think about. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it's kind of like the men or the people that carried the paralytic and they lowered it to the Jesus. They had the faith to bring yeah. him yeah. before Jesus. And I have that faith for her now yeah. when she does not because I know she's going to be okay. Yeah. And she may be a few years out before yeah. she senses it. And I can carry that for her now. Wow. So where can people find you? How can people follow you? Um, where's the best place for them to get this book? I, I'm thinking like this should be, uh, I, I would think that somebody ought to get a stack of these and just give them to people at an appropriate time who are going through grief, particularly losing a spouse, particularly women losing spouses. Um, like you said, it applies more broadly than that. But um, what, what a gift or a ministry this is. How do people stay in touch with you? A couple of ways. You can uh, check out my website. It's paulasfreeman.com. Uh, sign up for my email list. I will never spam you. Occasionally I blog and have something that I think might be worth listening to or hearing, and uh, you'll be on an email list. I do respond to everybody's email. If you want to write me, paulasfreeman.com. Did I just say that? Website? Paula S. No, that's your website. What about your oh, email? Oh, paulasfreeman at gmail.com. They're close. Okay, it's like, oh, end of the day. <laughs> paulasfreeman at gmail.com. And um, I'll be glad to visit with you. The other thing to your comment about widows is I've learned because of watching my daughter's journey and what we're coming out of in COVID is the number of incredible high number of young widows that are out there now and we think of it as just more of a something that happens when you get older you, you yeah. lose a spouse but statistically it's across all age brackets so young and old alike issues are somewhat different but the, the healing process is going to be pretty similar but yeah check out my website you can get this book um, anywhere books are sold great um, what about social media Instagram Facebook you know, I am on Facebook. Um, I'm not the social media guru. I'll leave that to the young folks. You go, and I will email you back if you email me. Get on my mailing list. Perfect. That's Paula, it. thanks so much for your time. This has been great. It's been delightful. Thank you, man. You bet. The CC Podcast Conversations is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded, and donations to our ministry are tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check 
to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links, and remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.